What do you get when the audacious and the therapist collide? A crash course in unpolished therapy. Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca aren't afraid to spin out of control, tackling all the tough talk. Their weekly sesh meets at the corner of Audacity and Advice, where their wheels and yours get turned upside down. Hi, everyone. Happy Wednesday. It's Rachel Silver Cohen, so you know what that means. It's another episode where we are ditching the couch, grabbing the mics, breaking down all the wreckage, except I have to introduce my lovely co-host, Dr. Boca. What's up, DB? How goes? It goes. How you doing, Rach? I love our Wednesday mornings together. I have had a week. Okay. I'm very, and it, like, what is it, two days into the week, but it's been a week. And I am very much looking forward to Friday or five o'clock, one or the other. Whichever comes first. Exactly. <laughs> I might need a drink at five o'clock somewhere. I might need one at some point very soon. But well, you know I, how we always say is that about, I have an issue with mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Is Friday and five o'clock, is that mutually exclusive? I always forget. No, I think at five o'clock and Friday is the perfect time to be drinking and having fun. It becomes mutually exclusive. I think when if it's Wednesday at 9 a.m. Oh, okay, gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> but it might happen because it is five o'clock somewhere. But at this point, I know that at least for the next 45 minutes to an hour, I'm going to be in a great state of mind because I love our Wednesdays together. So what do you got for me? Okay, so let's be in a great state of mind. But speaking of a great state of mind, I have to tell you, I know we say all the time that our work together is really just play. We're not really working. This is a passion of ours, so it's not real therapy. But I can't help incorporate some of the topics we talk about into my day-to-day and then in my quote-unquote real therapy. And I've been diving in, I think, a little bit or a little too much, I should say, into the different patterns. And we've talked about this season that I'm trying not to repeat patterns that I think are detrimental. But in doing so, what has come up, and I have been scouring the internet here, is attachment. Okay. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. these attachment theories or diagnoses, I guess, if you will. Styles. Styles. Thank you. See, I'm already like (laughs) torturing myself. Anyway, I'm all over the place with it. And I thought it might be a great idea, even though I know you are our resident expert, to bring in another person who truly is an expert in something as specific as these attachment styles to kind of break down the wreckage or as we're doing in 2023, making meaning of the madness about attachment styles. I love that. And I think that's great that you brought in the expert because you know I'm a big believer that even if I say it to you, hearing it from somebody else with different words, sometimes for whatever reason, it just resonates in a different way. So I am all about as many people who can drive this home to people, I'm all game for it. So bring on whoever the expert is because I have my own questions. All right, great. So let's just jump right in. I want to introduce Jessica Blanco. She is a licensed mental health counselor in Boca Raton, Florida, with over 25 years of experience in the mental health field. She has worked in various mental health settings in different populations. Currently, she is in private practice. She's the owner of the Heart Connection Center, which I just have to tell you I love because it stands for healing emotions and relationships together. I just love that. Mm, I like Okay. (laughs) Jessica specializes in relationship issues with couples and individuals. She is certified in multidimensional family therapy and emotionally focused couples therapy. I have no idea what that means. I can't wait to ask her. She's passionate about working with couples who are in distress and helping them create safe and secure marital bonds through emotionally focused couples therapy. She is bilingual and she can provide therapy in Espanol. For our Espanol (laughs) listeners out there, we will link Jessica's details at the end of the podcast. But one of the greatest things too that I love about Jessica's bio is that she is committed to bringing people more peace, more love, and more joy. Who could not do more of that? So Jessica, without further ado, thank you for joining us in the corner of Audacity and Advice. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm excited to be here with you both. We talk are excited about as well. Thank you so much. So could we just start out with the four adult attachment styles, what they are and what they mean, and maybe just 
dumb it down for laymen like me who don't have yeah. the background that you and Dr. Boca have? Sure, sure. So the four attachment styles are secure attachment style, anxious attachment style, avoidant, and disorganized attachment style. And those attachment styles are formed in childhood by the way your needs were met or unmet in childhood. So if you had a parent who was there for you, who comforted you, who met all of your needs, you develop a secure attachment style. If your parent was neglectful or you felt unheard, unloved, unseen, then you're prone to develop a more insecure attachment style, which could be anxious or avoidant or disorganized. So, okay. So I want to make something very clear here or point this out. Obviously, my limited knowledge of this, which is a little bit more than limited, but the ideal scenario is to be in the secure attachment side of the spectrum here. But I get, and I'm, I'm wondering if you get this, I get a lot of people who come in saying, I had the greatest childhood. You know, my parents loved me and all of this, and yet they don't have the secure attachment. So can you go through each of them and kind of explain how that happens when when we say that you got your needs met, how you can still have some needs met and still develop an insecure attachment, and then what each of those styles would look like behaviorally to somebody if we were friends with them or in a relationship with them? Yeah, sure. So when you say like, if your needs were met in childhood, that's like asking if you break it down more. Who did you go to for comfort? Who was available for you when you you were hurt or you needed to express your feelings? Did you have somebody to go to? It doesn't have to be a parent. It could be an adult caregiver, as long as they had one person that was tuned to them Mm -hmm. and that was safe for them to express their feelings, then they can develop the secure attachment. And a lot of times, yeah, I get the same thing in my practice. I I had a great childhood. I, you know, everything was great. My parents were wonderful. But when you break down and you go back to certain memories where they needed a parent, and emotionally. And they might think they had a house, a great life, but emotionally were their parents there for them. And then when you break it down, no, they really weren't. And that's how the insecure attachment develops. Um, Because when they really needed to talk about their feelings or they had a problem and they couldn't go to their parent or the parent wasn't available because they were working too much or, you know, just having their own problems, that's how the insecure attachment develops. Jessica, can an individual have a secure attachment style, but also have some of these, what it looks like to me is like the secure one is like the good one, (laughs) right? (laughs) And then the other ones are sort of like, oh God, this is where we need some therapy to work through. Can your first chair be secure, but then as a result of certain particular traumas, let's say, is that where some of the negative attachments Mm -hmm. bleed out? Yeah, definitely. If if you are in a relationship where, you know, you were cheated on and that's a big trauma that can cause you to become anxiously attached because you don't have safety, right? So you, the trust is broken. There's no safety in the relationship. And so then that person becomes more anxiously attached and they need more constant reassurance that their love, that their partner won't cheat on them again, that that their relationship is going to survive this. And then, or if the relationship ends because of the cheating, then in future relationships, they can carry that, you know, trauma and become anxiously attached in in future. Okay. But that's when you're an adult. What I was asking, and and Dr. Boga, help me here if I'm not explaining this correctly. Let's say for the most part, you think you have a secure attachment style, right? Mm -hmm. Clients who may say, no, I had a great childhood, right? I'm secure. I don't have anxiety. I'm not avoidant. Or I think that I tend to lead stable and fulfilling relationships, right? Now I go to therapy. All of a sudden, I find out, you know what? Wait a minute. Maybe it wasn't such a perfect childhood, right? Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, you're peeling back the onion. Now, all of a sudden, hold on. Am I avoidant? Am I anxious? Am I disorganized? So can you have overlapping attachments? And then how do we unravel that? Wait, so before you yeah. answer that question, yeah. look, can, let's take one step back because it's a great question, Rach. But I think yeah. for our listeners, it's important for us to have a behavioral image in yeah. our head of the yeah. insecure attachment styles and what okay. they look like so that we yeah. can kind of associate a person that we know to those things to make it yeah. less abstract and then okay. dive into yeah. that question. So let's start with anxious. Yeah. So, okay. So, and sorry, I missed that part of your question last time, Lori. That's okay. But I'm going to break down the four attachment styles and what happens to them when they're in relationship distress. So when there's relationship distress and how that anxious or avoidant person might act or the secure person. 
So let's start with the secure person who's in relationship distress. That means you get triggered, you're feeling unheard, or your partner's feeling unheard, unseen, unloved, and you go, you can go into primal panic, let's say, and that's your alarm bells go off, something's wrong, and something's going on. So a person who's secure is emotionally available. They are attuned to themselves uh, emotionally and to their partner. They're available to be, uh, to problem them solve what's going on to figure out to understand their partner's perspective they, they'll say to themselves i understand what's going on my partner is feeling upset i did something to upset them and but i know that I, we love each other and we'll get through this no matter what okay and we'll work it out so that's a secure person okay an anxious person during relationship distress will become emotionally unable to problem solve they usually blame, demand, protest, criticize, and they are more likely to go into fight or flight mode. So either shut down or protest, push for resolving and in a desperate attempt to fix things. And that's because in their childhood, what happened that makes them have that attachment style? In their childhood, they were shown that their parent was unavailable to them when they needed comfort or safety or love. Their parents showed them that they were not there for them. An anxious person will think, okay. I'm not good enough. Okay. Here I go again. I mess up again. And this is, you know, why would they want to be with me? So that's what goes through an anxious attachment styles person's mind. So an avoidant person in relationship distress will push his feelings down, push his feelings away, wants to shut down, wants to withdraw. They go into problem solving mode right away because they want to fix it. They want to just make it better. They want to avoid conflict at all costs. And they're not emotionally attuned to themselves or to their partner. And if they can't problem solve, then they'll go into fight or flight. And what was their childhood like for the attachment style to be avoidant? Similar to the anxious that their parent was either the parent's needs were more important than the child. So, you know, they had to focus on what was going on with the parent emotionally, or maybe there was depression, maybe there was addiction, maybe there was abuse. And their feeling, they were ignored, they were neglected, they were, and their parents' needs were constantly put first for the, you know, avoidant. And the avoidant, they don't know what else to do. They never learned how to access their feelings. They never learned how to talk about their feelings. And so they just know to shut down and withdraw because that's what he, they learned when they were in their childhood. I'm just going to interrupt for one second and just say something to our audience that I want you to clarify. You can be an anxious person and have anxiety and still have an avoidant attachment style, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. And I just wanted people to hear that doesn't mean that all anxious no. individuals, if they have, have an insecure attachment, automatically have an anxious attachment no. style. It's those yeah, damn right. words that they all use yes, the same it's shit. it's very confusing. It gets yes. confusing. So Couldn't I just wanted to like clarify. 1A, 1AB. <laughs> exactly. A, B, C, and, and, and D, all of the above. <laughs> yeah. There is actually anxious avoidant. And now the last one, disorganized attachment, which is this person has fear of rejection, fear of abandonment. They have a very hard time in relationships. They pull away. They push feelings away. They don't know what to do. They get angry and scared. They can't trust that everything will work out because in their childhoods, nothing worked out. That's what they learned, that the world is unsafe, okay. that they're unlovable. And for me, again, as a layman, I'm a little confused about the anxious, avoidant and disorganized because it all seems as though they had some fucked up childhood situations <laughs> happening. And it's hard for me to make sense of when we talk about their the parental figure or whoever their role models were, were either checked out um put too much focus on themselves and not the child, maybe a combination of both. It mm -hmm. seems as though the, the lines between each one to the naked eye, is it very, very different when you're dealing with like an actual person and not just reading something and learning it from an educational yeah. standpoint? I think it's different because an anxious attachment will, and I can see how it could be confusing, but an anxious person will need constant reassurance and will need for their partner to let them know everything's okay. Like just because I didn't text you five minutes ago doesn't mean I don't love you. And they'll need that constant reassurance and they need that comfort. A an avoidant person and or a disorganized person will push away. They'll avoid, they'll shut down. They, they turn down the emotion. They don't want reassurance. 
So you could see how being in a relationship where one partner would be anxious and one would be avoidant would be pushing on each other's buttons so significantly. Mm -hmm. And I've got to imagine, Jessica, when you're working with couples, as I do, when they start to see this dance that they do, when one gets activated and and needs reassurance, but the partner that they're wanting the reassurance from is actually an avoidant person and they shut down and can't give Mm -hmm. it to them, how this dance is like this push-pull. And it's really so important for us to understand what our attachment style and our partners or friends or whomever we're in close relationships with is because this becomes this toxic dance that when we can see yes. it, we can actually get our needs met in a healthier way. Yeah. Yes. And that's where, you know, in the therapy that I do in emotionally focused couples therapy, I help them see like their partners have good reasons for doing what they're doing. And it doesn't mean like the avoidant person, just because they're shutting down, withdrawing doesn't mean that they don't care or that they don't love their partner. It means that They don't want to make things worse. They don't know what else to do. They don't know how to talk about things like that. They don't know how to get vulnerable. And the anxious person is just hoping for change and just hoping that things will get better. And she's, you know, pushing. So they have good reason helping them see their good reasons and changing their perceptions of their partner too. That's part of the therapy. Here's a question for you. Are any of the attachment styles more prevalent to men over women? To me, I kind of think I know the answer to that, but I'd like to hear what you ladies think. Yeah, I think definitely women tend to be more anxious attachment and men tend to be more avoidant. I don't know the percentages, but yeah. That's been my experience as well. You know, so I hate to do this. (laughs) I really do because I hate diagnosing. Mm -hmm, However, our listeners out there, do you find that there are some clinical diagnoses that tend to fall in each of the categories? Or do you feel like it's not about the diagnosis at all and we don't really see a pattern? Yeah, we try not to look at the diagnoses. I mean, yes, could we if we really wanted to? Yeah, like the narcissists tend to be more avoidant and, you know, go fit into that attachment style. Yeah, but we really try and emotionally focus therapy not to pathologize and that mm-hmm. attachment styles are developed through trauma, through childhood, and it's possible to change your style and become more secure in a relationship where you're working on it and trying to become a more secure um, bond, develop a secure bond. You had mentioned, and, and thank you, I don't love diagnosing either. And I find sometimes that people, particularly with the disorganized, have a yeah. diagnosis in mind that they mm-hmm. feel automatically because if they have that diagnosis, it's got to be this attachment style and vice versa. So I like to yeah. know that I don't come from that place as well. But you did allude to this EFT that you do with couples. Can you explain a little bit about that therapy technique yeah. or that theory and the way that you do practice? Because I, I do think that to our listeners, and to the people that follow TikTok and Instagram and all of that, you know, you've hit on two huge buzzwords already. You've hit on trauma and you've hit mm-hmm. on attachment. And I'm wondering, you know, for our listeners, if this yeah. EFT and this couple's um, yeah. way of looking at it targets in those two areas. Yes, definitely. Um, that's why I love EFT is because it targets those two areas. It targets, um, the, we focus on attachment and we, we focus on trauma and we believe that we can heal trauma and attachment styles through the relationship, through corrective emotional experiences and helping them change that dance that you talked about, their negative cycle of communication, their dance, and helping them with the person that shuts down and withdraw. How can they step out of that and be more vulnerable and speak from their uh, emotional place? And the pursuer or the anxious partner, how can they also slow down and be able to have more emotionally connecting, vulnerable conversations together and through those corrective experiences, develop a secure attachment and heal their attachment styles and trauma. I would think it's a win in and of itself to get someone who's avoidant or disorganized even in your office in the first place. (laughs) That's got to be a win for whomever the anxious partner is, correct? Absolutely. Let me ask you this. Well, a couple things, because again, my head is spinning all over the place. So it is probably an appropriate time to remind our listening audience that this is not real therapy. It sounds like this one's really heavy and Obviously, it is. This, this, these are therapy topics 
to the to the nines here. But for the purposes of this podcast, we are not practicing real therapy. We want to protect Dr. Boca. We want to protect Jessica's license as well. This is all generalization. If any of these topics are triggering you folks, or if there's anything that kind of seems that it's not making you comfortable, please remember that that we're here to just kick the can down the road, disseminate some information and have a good time while doing it. Contact your healthcare provider should you have any real issues that need attention. With that being said, Jessica, I'm going to ask you this. I've made no secret that I've been in and out of therapy for as many years as I can remember. And I have to tell you that I don't think there's ever been a therapist that has said to me, Rachel, you have this attachment style or that attachment style. And I'm wondering if either A, was I not or am I not in the right kinds of therapy? Because I'm assuming this isn't just for couples and relationships. Or do people who aren't in therapy, would they even know what kind of attachment style they have or not? I think it doesn't mean that you're not in the right therapy for sure, but it's just where what your therapist training is and what her you know focus is. But it's definitely become more like we talked about a buzzword. Attachment style is becoming more known and people are reading about it. They're looking on videos on TikTok and on Instagram and they're learning about it. So I have clients who come in and they tell me, I know I'm insecure and I want to work on my relationship patterns. Well, I mean, interestingly enough, being unpolished here, I did a little bit of my homework assignment to prepare for our chat today. And I'm reading this saying, Jesus Christ, I have every problem in the book here with these attachment styles. And I started to go into a cold sweat. Now, one of the things I have learned in my real therapy is that I don't want to go backwards and I don't want to start pointing fingers. My biggest concern now, and Dr. Boca, I know you'll agree with me on this because we've talked about it at nauseum, isn't so much about me correcting my childhood, so to speak, or connecting dots. It's being aware, oh, Jesus Christ, I have a lot of these issues and how am I affecting my children? Mm -hmm. And I'm in a complete panic over it. I'm anxious. I'm avoidant. (laughs) I'm fearful. I'm disorganized. I am a wreck that my kids are going to grow up or I've already laid the groundwork for my nuttiness. And yeah, we can joke around and laugh about it, but I'm a little nervous. Well, it's, it's, I understand you're overwhelmed because our attachment style plays out in all of our relationships, mm-hmm. right? So with our friends, with our, with our partners, with our children, and it's about how can you self-regulate yourself first and then be able to regulate your child or, you know, be there for them emotionally for when they need you. Let me ask you this. And I also, Dr. Boca, I want your opinion on this too. It'll be interesting to see if you guys match up or not. Having older teenagers now and with my mindset being so cognizant of all my shtick, if you will, right? And I'm going to go easy on myself, Dr. Boca. I can already hear you saying, Rachel, go easy. It's not about going easy or not going easy. But all of the awareness sometimes, I want to vomit from all this awareness, right? So with the awareness, if you have older teenagers, okay, who essentially they're not adults, they are still kids, they are still developing. Does it behoove someone like me to want to talk them to say, hey, guys, look what I learned today. And here's my areas of weakness that I don't want to pile on you and I might have already and kind of sorry in advance? Or do you just let the chips fall? What is that communication like? So I'll defer to Jessica first, and then I'll share my own unpolished okay. way of parenting and All right. yeah. tell you what I do. I mean, my first thing is, I don't think you need to do that with your teenagers. I think more importantly is about the relationship that you have with them and the connection that you have with them and whether you're going to have influence over them or not because of the connect- emotional attunement that you have with them. And I think that's how we're also different from our parents. I mean, I can say, I think that we are aware of these things now. Like our parents were not aware of these 
issues or these style attachment style they'd be like jessica what what are you talking about like i know i'm sure my parents would probably be like you're a nut maybe all this therapy is making you worse you were fine and that's where i was gonna go with it and there's a couple points there that oh good (laughs) you know what ignorance is bliss let's be honest you know we could we can live in that unpolished world but is it really bliss and i think when we look at the two generations of our parents who god bless them did the best that they could with what they knew right but now we know differently. And so to the older generation, our parents, when we come to you and point something out to you, we're not trying to tell you that you suck and you're the worst parent and how could you and go fuck yourself, right? Like you abused me by lack of not knowing. That's not what we're doing. We just see it differently than how they saw it. And we do parent from a different place at this point. And so we have to get the older generation to understand that it's not a criticism. But at the same time, maybe be welcoming to this information that we can build a more secure relationship with one another because at least one of us is more cognizant of it. Mm -hmm. So the other part of it is our generation has to be accepting that that older generation may not be willing to change. So we just have to have some dialogue with them. But going back Mm -hmm. to our children, I don't necessarily think, Rach, that it would be advantageous for you to say to your kids who have no freaking clue what you're talking about. By the way, guys, I learned today that I am anxiously attached or what have you. And what this means is blah, blah, blah. And therefore, I'm leaking all my pathology onto you. No. But what I do say to my kids sometimes, and I had this incident with my child the other day who wanted to do something, I have anxiety about a specific thing, which is other people driving my kids, which I let them do, right? But it is a cause of anxiety because of a situation in my life that I have worked on, but still it's an unknown, out of control, Rach, you can appreciate that, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what I will say to my child is, listen, I am not going to put my anxiety onto you. If you would like to go, go. But my child is looking to me for the reassurance that everything's going to be perfectly fine. I can't promise that. And so I will talk about that piece of it is that this is something that is out of our control, but more times than not, you get into a car and you're totally fine, right? So you got to go with that and I own my shit. So it's unpolished, okay? And a lot of people Mm -hmm. would say, well, you're putting this shit onto your kid, but I'm putting it on, but explaining that I'm not putting it on. And Mm -hmm. for the last point that I want to make, and I don't usually talk this long, I always say, as unpolished as I am, I say to our listeners all the time, you start the fucking therapy fund before you start the college fund. So sorry, Jen McKenzie, who we interviewed last week. I think college (laughs) is really important. However, I think the therapy fund is way more important because even with our best intentions, we are going to be perceived by our children of having missed the boat. And the positive, Rach, is that at the stage where your kids are at, what Jessica just said is, you can become securely attached later on in life as you do the work. So your kids have hope, just send them on their way to therapy and all will be right in the world. I hope you're right because again, (laughs) I absolutely subscribe to the notion of this ignorance is bliss card because it's so much easier. When I start flying off the handle and losing my mind, now that I'm a little privy to some of this information, I'm like, oh God, I was just an avoidant. (laughs) I just, I just reacted in an avoidant way or, oh God, I was disorganized about this. And now that's going to rub off on this kid or that kid. And then when he grows up, he's going to, and that pressure alone, which brings me to my next kind of point in all this with my own little research here, I do want to talk about codependency. Yes. Because And if I could just be on my soapbox for 40 seconds, I will tell you that I'm assuming codependency is another one of these buzzwords, such as abandonment issues or triggers or patterns or trauma or yada, 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 right? But what I've learned, and I want you both to help break this down, relative to codependency, I've always looked at it as such a negative phrase. Oh, they're codependent, they're naggy, and they're as defined by whomever is the codependent right? They're needy. They're not able to do things on their own, et cetera, et cetera. What I've since learned is that codependency is really all about control, being dependent on another person because you want to control whatever the outcome is. 
is. And then in turn, what it boils down to is that there's no control at all. Am I even getting that right? Did I sort of hit on it or not at all? And maybe you can kind of clean that up for me. Uh, Yeah. So I think that you're right on. I think that a lot of it is about control and trying to change and not focus on themselves, but focus on their others and their partner and how their partner feels also reflects on how they feel about themselves. So if their partner is happy with them, then they're happy with themselves. If their partner's not happy, then they start to feel anxious. They start to feel upset. They start to get triggered. So a lot of it depends. And it's obsessive, like controlling behavior, because it's all focused on the other person and on their feelings and needs. So would someone who's codependent fall into one of those insecure attachment styles? I would imagine they're part and parcel with at least one of them. Certainly not the secure one. (laughs) No. (laughs) Which one? Or would it be a combination of any of those three? It could be a combination of any of those three. I think it just depends on their style, like what what they do in the relationship, how they behave. What about the notion that being codependent, maybe if it's now a twist on what I thought it was, that needy, naggy, can't do it on your own, someone who's codependent can also be defined as someone who wants to fix for the person that is needy, like their hero complex or the Superman complex that they feel as though the other person in that dynamic is not capable of solving whatever the scenario may be. So he or she has to swoop in and fix it. There's a codependency in what I guess a layman would think would be the opposite. Is that correct? More about fixing. They want to fix it. They want to make sure their partner's okay. They want to, you know, save them if they're drinking or if they're, you know, using drugs or if they're, you know, not feeling depressed. They want to see what they can do to help. It's like emotional enmeshment. And Mm -hmm. they're constantly, you know, thinking about them. They're worried about them. They get anxious because of how their partner's feeling. And so, yes, they're looking for ways to fix the problem, to save them, to make them better. And it's all focused on their partner. And it's a way to deflect from their own stuff. Yeah, because I would think that someone who's constantly on top of someone else trying to solve all of that person's problems, forget the problem that that person has that they've got to fix everyone else. I would think that being the recipient of the problem solving would make me feel like, well, wait a minute, do you not think I, I... can't handle this situation? Why are you on top of me all the time? And lay low or or back off, let me handle it. It would make me actually feel insecure if I yeah. was already secure. It, it's almost like yeah, a role if you're, reversal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're a secure po- person, then that's how you would feel. But if usually a lot of times exactly. it's two codependents together. Ex- so. That's exactly uh, what I was going to say. You th- Think about what, how we started this all with an avoidant okay. and an anxious. Right. So the avoidant would be the person who wants to solve the problem. So they're going to sit there and try to get into for their partner so they don't have to look at themselves and deal with those feelings that they've either suppressed, repressed or have no in touchness with, which is not a word, but you know what Mm -hmm. I'm trying to get at. So they're going to be, you know, doing all of these behaviors and suffocating and trying to, quote unquote, control the other person. But that other person, assuming they don't have a secure attachment, is coming at it. And the insecure is going to be like, oh, my God, this is great. He's showing me attention or she's showing me attention. She's making me feel reassured. This is amazing. So it's not pulling on that anxious part of them. So they're happy and the avoidance happy Mm -hmm. because everything's working out. The time comes that the, let's say the anxious goes into therapy and Jessica does her magic and (laughs) this person walks out with a secure attachment. Well, guess what's going to happen? That avoidant isn't going to be able to do what you just said and give all of their control onto them. And the secure yeah. person's going to be like, get away. I'm done with you. Walk away and the relationship falls apart. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to be really unpolished now and say, if those two people weren't in therapy, life would be grand because <laughs> both of their dysfunction, so to speak, quote unquote, work well together, even though well is defined by the fact that they don't even know that they're both codependent on each other. Yeah, they don't know that they're codependent. And if they're not in therapy, they're unaware. And it works for them until it doesn't, until one person decides like, this isn't good, this isn't healthy, I don't like the way you're treating me, you're being mean, or, you know, because the avoidant person can be mean or dismissive, and then the anxious person isn't getting reassured. 
and isn't getting their needs met. And then usually it's the anxious person that goes, attachment person that goes to therapy. And it's really just a little scratch of like the chocolate bunny, right? And the whole thing falls apart. And you said what I always say is it works until it doesn't. But Rachel, what you were just saying is, yeah, ignorance might be great, but aren't you, Mm -hmm. well, not you, Rachel, but aren't we as our generation sitting here and judging our parents or criticizing that generation for being oblivious to all of this, right? Mm -hmm. So is it really that great? Because the end result was we're all now in therapy. Okay, so touche. I'm going to check the box. So that's a win for Dr. Boca on that. Yes, okay. I'm going to pull back. But that leads me to a really great point. Another buzzword that we hear in our generation is this emotional intelligence, right? Mm -hmm. And how much work you are doing on yourself in an effort to grow and evolve and and know where you came from emotionally and blah, 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 right? So my question then becomes, if we're all trying to be emotionally more intelligent than previous generations, is there a way, you two being the experts, generally speaking, to gauge what works best together? If I mean, if you only have four choices and the, the reality is how many people are all going to be secure, 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 secure? Like when you're meeting people, because now let's say you're saying all this starts in your childhood, but it all plays out in your relationship. So now as we get older, someone like myself, let's say, who's now divorced and moving on and so on and so forth, and I'm doing all this work. How do you come to the table in a new relationship? One, being emotionally intelligent and not be able to figure out, well, like, what would the best pattern be? Like, you can't just go out on a date with someone and be like, so what's your attachment style? Because mine is a, bl- right? I mean, I mean, you ha- can. Ha- well, can you? I mean, who would, well, you know, I'm not very good at dating, but I can't, I know there's certain rules. You're, you're, and things I'm going to help you with that, Rachel. What? I'm going to help you with that. I told you. I'm gonna You're going to help, gonna you help me? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I think this is a very long-winded way to ask the question but of how do we stay do emotionally you... intelligent and know if someone else is emotionally intelligent too? Well, I think that what you're saying is, you know, how do you heal and how, if you're healing, then how do you enter a dating relationship and know, you know, when you see the red flags, when you see the green flags, when, how to, how to ask for your needs. And I think like being, by working on yourself and being aware and healing, you can figure out what you want, what you're looking for in a relationship, and then being able to have those direct, uncomfortable conversations, which you're so good at, that you can early on in the dating relationship, start having those you know talks and seeing how the other partner, how the person responds. Are they emotionally available? How are they responding? How are they behaving during these conversations? And being able to weed it out that way, I think. Yeah. And I I think, Jessica, you hit on it perfectly. You know, again, you're coming from the ignorance is bliss part, right? And so, oh, the pool is much bigger when you're ignorant, right? Because everybody's a possibility. But when you start Mm -hmm. doing work on yourself and really identify who you are and build a solid sense of self and a secure attachment, unfortunately, the pool gets much smaller, right? Because very quickly, you know if you're being triggered and what that means. It means it's not me. It's kind of like a therapist going through their own therapy before they work with patients so that I know that when somebody says something, if I have a reaction, it's either hitting on something in me, which is unlikely because I know most of my stuff, or it's them that's contributing to it. Same way, when you're solid, and you're secure, you go out to meet these guys, I'm assuming guys, but maybe, you know, women <laughs> for other people, right? You get mm-hmm. out there and right away, when you get that reaction, you know that this person is either an anxious or a disorganized attachment or an avoidant mm-hmm. attachment, you're going to walk. And yes, it's frustrating for all of our listeners who are trying to find a partner. It is much harder to find a partner when you are healthy, but yeah. when you find that partner, it's going to be for all the, God willing, you have a much better shot. It's going to be the right partner for you. Well, it also though, I have to just point out that when back to the ignorance is bliss card, I guarantee you that when you're a young adult first starting out in the world, again, because of the generational situation, we, we were not made available to 
this literature and the information and because the internet and technology just didn't exist back then. But there's no way that people were communicating with one another, whether it was a romantic relationship, whether they were business colleagues, even if it was family members, siblings, which again, I'm fascinated that siblings can grow up under the same roof with the same parents and have completely different attachment styles. I'm blown away on that. We could do a whole podcast just on that. (laughs) But my point is, because that's really just an addendum, is that the the luck card that couples from years and years and years ago that have no idea attachment this attachment that that it just sort of worked out that their attachment styles jive together or that they grew together okay that now all these years later for someone like myself in a second chapter of life to have had all this knowledge thrown on me whether it was by choice or just by circumstance and now to have to delve through it all. It's so much more exhausting. And that's why I continue to kind of revert back to saying ignorance is bliss. And I guess maybe that's why some of these quote unquote, to bring it full circle, these patterns play (laughs) out because I guess my intellectual self knows it's easier to just continue the patterns because that's what's comfortable, right? Even though I know that that's not where the growth is, that you've got to break away from that and you got to work through some of those old negative attachment styles that I guess seemingly are traumatic for a lack of a better word. So Mm -hmm. I'll go back to, Rach, my favorite saying, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. Is that what you want? So we can all stay ignorant and say it's blissful, but we know how that plays out and what we're going to get from that. And if you're okay with that, mazel tov to you, right? If you want to do it differently, which is our hashtag for the year, you know, do it different. You got to unfortunately do the work work. and it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard and nobody's going to tell you it's easy. And if they are, they're lying to you. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, my, you know, I have clients that come in, they're like, why do I keep choosing the same unavailable men? Why do I keep doing this? And, you know, at the beginning, everything's great. And until, you know, a month in and they start to see signs of, again, they're emotionally unavailable, they're avoidant, they're, you know, I appreciate how hard you're working, Rachel, because I think that you're going to enter the dating experience differently because you're going to know your patterns and you're going to want to be able to weed out those one those emotionally unavailable men and I'm going through the same thing so you know I'm divorced and I have a little bit more experience than you in the dating <laughs> and so it's hard but it's so much better when you know and I'm working on myself I'm in therapy and you know working knowing what you want knowing you know what you're not going to put up with and not you're not going to settle for for less it's feeling empowered you know it's feeling confident and empowered that that's what you, that I deserve and you deserve let me ask you both this question uh in this modern world where all of us are trying to be as emotionally intelligent as we can do you both find in your practices that now the scales are evening out relative to men and women who are seeking the help? Or is it more geared, as we said before, you know, those avoidance seem to be more male dominant? Are men coming in trying to recognize how to fix yeah. their emotional intelligence and turn it up a notch? I mean, I would say yes. I say a lot of men are coming to therapy and working on themselves and wanting to develop emotional awareness and and figuring out their patterns and working through traumas. I I, I say, yeah. Yeah. I, what do you think? Absolutely. I mean, I will tell you that at one point, my entire caseload was men. But it is interesting that I was just having this this conversation, not realizing we were doing this podcast. So it was totally, you know, HP and and just very random or not random. But I was having this conversation with a colleague the other day that I can tell when a couple calls, right? It, it oftentimes, if the male calls, okay, it the male is actually the anxiously attached one in the relationship. If the woman calls. Mm-hmm. It's usually the woman who's the anxiously attached one. So I usually yeah. know, and I don't know if I don't know if you have this yeah. experience, Jessica. And so it's interesting because I don't see it so much as a gender issue. The attachment style develops because of the parenting and the lack or ambivalent presence of that emotional attunement. And that can be, as you said before, Rachel, you know, I'm so struck by siblings who grow up in the same family. 
that's gender non-specific, right? It could you could be firstborn and you can have a twin like you are, and you two could even have a totally different mm. attachment style with your parent because of where that parent is in their life and where they are in their emotional well-being, their affluence at the time, the stresses that they're under, the lack of affluence yeah. that they are at the time, where they're in the relationship with their significant other. And all of that mm. plays a role in it. So it's not, yes, more men tend to, if we're going to generalize, be avoidant, but those are never going to be the guys that are going to call me to come into yeah. therapy. So I don't know if I Usually the that. wives are pushing them into therapy. <laughs> right. And right. If it's an avoidant male, but a lot yeah. of men are anxious and I, yeah. I, you know, anxiously attached. And I think, again, it's a generational thing. I think in our generation, we're going to see a lot more anxiously attached men and women than we are going to see avoidant because we're so aware now of emotion and emotional attunement and speaking the language and and getting them to get in touch with those feelings and the expression mm -hmm. of the feelings versus shutting them down and being avoidant of conflict and things like that. Yeah. But who am I? I have no crystal ball, but that's where I what and I you see. know and you know the what people want is you know to be in a healthy, loving relationship and you know we're wired for connection. Humans yes. are wired, you know, to be in relationship, to be in love. It's it's an integral part of life. And so I think the more people are, are realizing, you know, that therapy is available and they can learn about their attachment styles, they can heal and they can develop healthy relationships through through therapy and through developing emotional awareness and it's possible. It's possible, but it's exhausting. I have to tell you both. <laughs> it's not, it it's not easy. It is. It's not, it's not easy, easy wanting more no. peace, more love, and more joy. No. Right? But Why does it have to be so hard? But she can give it to you. So there's hope, right? Yes, and hope is the yes. beginning of everything. And I really want to emphasize to our listeners, yes, it is exhausting. It does take a lot of effort, but we've been given a gift in our generation that there's no stigma attached or very little yeah. stigma attached at this point. This is the time, right? Our children are growing, as you said, Rach, and yes, we're going to see it all but better to see it and own it and model that for our children than not to see it and continue the trajectory of the traumas that have just been going on and on for all these generations. But at the same time, I just, again, remind our listeners, have a little bit of empathy for our parents, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. that generation, because they didn't have these gifts that we've been given. And maybe it was easier for them, like, Rach, ignorance might be blessed, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we see that that ignorance, they did the best that they could. And with that ignorance, developed a generation of individuals mm -hmm. who were not happy with the results that we got <laughs> and are struggling in our relationships. So, yeah, like I always say, everything in extreme is not good or anything in extreme. Yeah is not good, here's a prime example. And also that it is overwhelming and it is, you know, when you first start therapy, but also to be gentle with yourselves and have grace for yourself that you are embarking on a journey and, you know, that it's exciting and it's hard, but also being gentle and kind and loving to yourself and to our parents who were, who did the best they could. You're right, Lori, that it isn't easy, but it is worth it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I appreciate all of the wisdom and all of the advice from both of you today. I want to point out something just to sort of wrap up and bring it full circle when we were talking earlier about mutual exclusivity. Something I read as it relates to attachment styles that I think is a fun way to end the hour. I want you guys to agree or disagree. And I already did my homework, so I think I know the answer. But I'm going to go for you, Jessica, first. Is it possible that you can be capable and lost at the same time? Yes, definitely. Dr. Boca, is it possible that you can be smiling and struggling at the same time? Absolutely. Okay, Dr. Boca, again, to you, Gosh, is it possible pressure. to be kind and also know how to set boundaries at the same time? Absolutely. Okay, Jessica, is it possible to be vulnerable and powerful at the same time? Definitely. Is it possible to be successful, but also traumatized at the same time? Yes. I, I would definitely. say yes if it was for me. Yes, definitely. Okay. We, there's a pattern here, folks. There's a pattern. <laughs> Is it possible to be extroverted and feel alone at the same time? Yes. Definitely. How about mm -hmm. valuable and flawed? Yep. Definitely. Introverted and reaching out, the need to reach out? Yes. 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 
And finally, is it possible to be loving, but also have questions, questioning yourself from time to time? Is that possible? Definitely. Case in point, Rach. Case in point. Case in point. So all of these emotions and feelings and ways that we view ourselves from attachments as children and even as adults as we work our way now where the roles are reversed and now we are the parents to young children it is possible to have a whole host of emotions floating through your head down to your gut and back up again and with people like jessica and of course dr boca to help us navigate our way and to clear the chaos i guess that goes Mm -hmm. on in our head from years and years of programming we can learn how to kind of rewrite the script. We can learn how to make meaning out of the madness. We can learn that our insecurities can be redirected and we can make ourselves a little bit more secure. Don't give up the unpolishedness. It's okay to be unpolished, but it's even more okay to want to continue to work on yourself. And Jessica, Mm -hmm. I have to tell you, I mean, with your mantra, more peace, more love, more joy, (laughs) I'll hang out in your office. Awesome. You're welcome. Both of you are welcome. Anytime, anytime. Thank Thank you. you. And Jessica, our listeners can reach you. Again, you are the owner and founder of Heart Connection Center, www.heartconnectioncenter.com. I believe you are to be found on Instagram at Facebook at Heart Connection Center. I know you have a whole host of great professional team of people that work for you and with you. Anyone who wants to reach you, they can find you that way on the web. Yes, they can find me on the website and everybody that's in my practice as well. Wonderful, wonderful. DB, final thoughts. I'm going to throw it to you. Thank you. I mean, Jess, this Mm -hmm. was amazing. I always love when other mental health professionals come on. I learned so much about Mm -hmm. the areas that I don't specialize in, but also I learned so much more about myself, right? And the humanness of all of us and that we're Mm -hmm. all, you know, like I say to Rachel all the time, we're all doing the best we can. um, And we do have to be kind to ourselves. And just as a closing idea that I wanted to say before is a lot of times when my patients come in and you might have the same experience where they say, you know, why am I finding another emotionally unavailable person? Mm -hmm. My response to them was, look, you're on the journey but you noticed it so much quicker this Mm -hmm. time. It didn't take the 20-year marriage to figure it out. It didn't take the four months of being in the committed relationship. You've picked up on it on the second date. You are so far ahead of where you were and so far ahead of so many other people. So let's Mm -hmm. be kind to ourselves. It's a tough journey, and I respect anybody who is willing to take that journey. So thank you for shining that light on it and really, like Rachel said, breaking down the wreckage and making meaning of the mess because this can be a very complicated topic, but it's such an important one. So thank you for your time. Well, thank you for having me. I had so much fun with both of you today. Learned from you, Dr. B and Rachel. You loved it today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for being with us. And we'll link all your contact information at the bottom of the podcast. For those of you out there, thank you so much for spending your Wednesday morning with us. If you have questions or comments, concerns for Dr. Boca and myself, you can always reach us at unpolishedtherapy at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at unpolishedtherapy. Of course, we have an avoidant attachment style to Twitter. Uh, (laughs) So we're not doing so great there. We need a little bit more therapy there, but we are untherapy on Twitter. Make us anxious. Send us a little tweet and, you know, that'll get us excited. Maybe we'll become more secure. I don't know. (laughs) But with that being said, from the corner of audacity and advice, this is Rachel Silver Cohen, of course, with another episode with my favorite cohort, Dr. Boca. And we will see you guys next week where our wheels and yours get spun upside down. Great sesh, girls. Hey, everyone, like what you heard? Then don't miss out on what comes next. Subscribe now and please give the girls a five-star rating. Learn more at www.unpolishedtherapy.com. Find and like them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll see you next week when Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca ditch the couch, grab the mic, and break down all the wreckage.